Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Take your Bibles with me, please, to the Gospel of John, John chapter number 10, John chapter number 10. I want us to take just a few minutes uh, here in this passage tonight. As you uh, know, we've been on our in our uh, Wednesday night services, as the Lord has allowed us to. Uh, we've been looking at uh, the subject of the security in salvation, and uh, we've been talking about the eternal security of the believer and uh, what the Bible says about that, and I know uh, that different uh, r- different uh, so-called Christian denominations would have different things to say about that, uh, but I believe it's in the Word of God, and I believe uh, in the last, uh, I believe, seven messages now that we've looked at this subject, uh, I believe we've pretty well proven in many different ways uh, that it is a Bible doctrine. It is not uh, just a Baptist thing and not just uh, something that we came up with, but it's something that we derive from the Word of God, and uh, the Bible teaches it. And the Bible is plain about it. And uh, tonight I want us to go to a passage of Scripture uh, that uh, perhaps many of you in this series have been waiting on. And uh, it is a passage of Scripture that deals with the eternal security of the believer in a way uh, that very few other verses deal with it as plainly as this does. So I want us to look here, and uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 7, and uh, skip a few verses for the sake of time tonight. But I do want us to begin in verse number Number seven, and uh, read some of these verses uh, as the Lord would have for us to. So let's stand together. If you're physically able, we'll stand together and honor and reverence the reading uh, of the Word of God, and then we will read these verses together. Actually, let's do this just for the sake of time. I know we spent a little bit of extra time with prayer requests tonight than normal, and uh, that's okay. We want to be able to get those requests. We want to be able to pray for them. Let's begin reading in verse number 22 uh, for the sake of time. We'll go through the others in the message itself. But let's read verse number 22 together. The Bible says, And it was at Jerusalem the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed believed not. Uh, The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither (coughs) shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We'll conclude our reading there. For the sake of time tonight, you may have a seat. Let's bow for a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the message that the Lord would have for us tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence once again as thankfully and humbly, Lord, as we know how. Thank you, Lord, for another day. 
and another opportunity, God, that you give us to come into the house of God to meet with your people. Thank you, Lord, for each and every person, God, that's made their way out tonight. Father, I pray, <coughs> dear Lord, God, that you'd help me to say the things, God, that you'd have to be said. Lord, I pray, as I often do before preaching, that you'd forgive me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your spirit, use me for your glory, help me to be a blessing. Lord, help me to say what you have to be said, nothing, God, that you wouldn't have to be said. Help me, dear Lord, I pray, to rightly divide the word of truth, and may what you have to say uh, be very plain as we try uh, to say what thus saith the Lord from the word of God tonight. Lord, I'm not here uh, to try to uh, make any uh, claim for myself, not trying to uh, become popular in any means or anything like that. Lord, I, I seek to do nothing else, no hidden agenda, no other agenda than just for the word of God and the Lord, for the word of God to be preached in the way that you'd have for it to be preached and God for your name to be exalted. Lord, we do pray if there's one here tonight that's not saved, we pray dear God that you would save them by your grace. Heavenly Father, we do pray if there's one here tonight that's backslid, they're saved, but they're not where they need to be with you. We pray God that they would they would confess their sins and Lord God, they would get right with you tonight. And Heavenly Father, we do pray for those that are saved that may have many needs tonight. May uh, Lord God, whatever it is, we pray that you would meet the need as only you can. Please, dear Lord, help me, God, as I try to rightly divide the word of truth. May you be pleased with everything that's said and done. Make this moment everything, God, that you'd have for it to be. May it feed the flock of God. May it encourage us that are saved. Lord, may those that are lost and, Lord, those that may not even know where they stand with you, they, they have confusion in their heart and in their life. I pray, dear God, that you would deal with those hearts as only you can. Make the gospel plain. Make it paramount. And dear God, I pray, help us, Lord, to know where we stand with you. And those of us that are saved, help us, God, to have, uh, Lord, confidence and assurance that you are keeping us exactly the way uh, that you saved us to be. And Father, we'll thank you, Lord, for what you do, uh, both now and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. When we come to this passage of Scripture, I've already mentioned that throughout, the, that throughout this series, we've already began talking about two different subjects uh, concerning the, the eternal security of the believer and our security in the salvation that God gives us. Uh, the first one was uh, God's description of salvation, how the eternal security of, believe, of the believer is seen in how God describes the salvation that he gives. And then over the last several weeks, we've looked at God's promise. And we've taken the Word of God. We went from one passage to the next to the next. And we've looked at the promises of God concerning that He not only saves us when we place our faith in Him, but He is the one that keeps us saved all the way until we meet Him by way of death or by way of the rapture of the church. So when we come to our text this evening, we come to John chapter number 10. And as you can imagine, as you look through the this chapter, even in the verses that we did not read, uh, beginning in verse number one all the way through the end of this chapter, uh, John chapter number 10 has been called by many to be the shepherd chapter of the New Testament. And we can read this and understand exactly why that is. Uh, the language of this text describes a shepherd and his sheep. This chapter is greatly comparable uh, to Psalm 23, which we could call uh, the shepherd psalm or 
if you wanted to classify it as a chapter, although that is not technically correct. A psalm is a psalm. It's not a chapter of a book. Uh, but we could call it the uh, shepherd chapter of the Old Testament. Psalm 23 mirroring that of John chapter number 10. This 10th chapter of John's gospel contains some of the most striking imagery that one can find in God's Word. The fact that these words were uttered by the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, makes the beauty of these words and their spiritual immensity of no marvel at all. It is Jesus that is saying these things. And as we read this and we stand in all of the truth that is being given, we can understand how wonderful it is coming from the lips of our precious Lord and Savior. When we observe these words, we understand that we observe one of the Bible's clearest promises of the eternal security of the believer. And it's this promise that I want us to look at tonight as we continue this uh, series on the security and salvation. Let me point out a few things tonight and then we'll go to the house. Notice with me, number one, we see the parallel that's mentioned in these verses. Look at verse number one of chapter number 10 with me. We'll walk through some of these verses. Notice the parallel here. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, uh, he, excuse me, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Verse number two, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Notice here that a parallel is being made. There is a parallel being made here, and it is being used to describe in figurative language someone or some persons rather uh, that is being identified as the sheepfold in this text. And then there is a parallel to an individual that is identified as a sheep here in this text. A sheepfold contained being a place to where multiple sheep are uh, being held and collected and confined. Uh, so therefore there is an individual uh, practicality to these verses. There is an individual takeaway as this sheepfold is filled with sheep, but the Bible here does have much to say about the individual sheep as well. We see that in verse number two. Sheep mentioned not only plural as in sheepfold, but then singular uh, as well. Here we mention verse number three echoes that as well, that each sheep is called by name. And then we see a parallel here, not only of the sheepfold and the sheep, but we see there is one that is identified as the shepherd. And all three of those things are very pertinent to our understanding of this text. We must understand what is being said uh, about the sheepfold, about the sheep, and about the shepherd. So notice with me what these verses say in particular uh, about the shepherd. We'll deal with some of that here in a minute. But notice with me some things that said in these verses about these three classifications that we find in this parallel. Notice number one that the Bible says in these verses that there are some that are trying to get into the sheepfold without going by the way of the door. Now you've got to pay attention to that. Verse number one, he said, verily, verily, or truly, truly. And by the way, this uh, double verily mentioned by the Lord, it's something that Jesus did much in his ministry, and it is to add extra emphasis. When Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, he is letting those that he's listening to know 
know that he's about to tell them something that not only are they, do they need to listen to, but it's something they need to listen to really closely. And by the way, I will say this, the reason why he's doing that is because he is not just speaking arbitrarily. He's not just giving a speech, but rather what he is doing is, is he is making a spiritual parallel with something we understand within the earthly realm and something that these in the ancient world would have understood by way of an earthly parallel. And he's about to make one of the most important spiritual uh, parallels that you could ever uh, come to a knowledge of what he's saying. Everyone in this room, I, I have no hesitation to say, everyone in this room, no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, no matter what religious background you may have had or not had, everyone in this room has got to <coughs> come to grips with what is being said here in John chapter number 10 <coughs> with this parallel. Verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door, and there is some significance that will later be clarified about that door, <coughs> He that entereth not by the door, into the sheepfold, this group where the sheep gather, this place where the sheep gather, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. So there is someone that this passage is talking about, or rather uh, a group of someones possibly, uh, that would be tempted to try to get into the sheepfold where the sheep are, other than the way that a sheep is to enter the fold. Verse number 2 says, that tells us how a sheep, uh, how someone is to enter the fold. The Bible says, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The way that you can identify the one that is not the shepherd uh, against the one who is the shepherd is how they approach the sheep, how they enter in to the sheepfold. This, uh, this uh, thief, this robber that is described in verse number one by not coming in by the door, it's trying to come in by deceptive means. They come to thieve and to rob, and that is that they are coming with evil intentions uh, that will hurt the sheep in the long run. So there is one that is being described <coughs> as trying to come into the sheepfold uh, by the incorrect way. But then number two, the sheep here is described as one whose relationship with the sheep is one that is centered around what is true and what is best for the sheep. That's verse number two. The one that is approaching them right, the one that is approaching them truly and not deceptively, that is the one who is the sheep of the sheepfold. And by the way, all of this may not sound very interesting to you right now, but we're headed to an application here in a minute that I hope uh, will sound uh, very interesting to all of you. <coughs> Let me say this tonight in, the, in reference to verse number two. What this verse is telling us, <coughs> I'm telling you, I'm about to be choked up. Amen. Somebody find me a water somewhere if you don't mind. <coughs> Let me say this while he's doing that. Real shepherds would not hurt their sheep in any way. Now, I'm, I'm having to do my best to keep this within the, within the realm of its immediate context because I would love to take the next three hours and go off on false prophets here. I would love to do that. <clears throat> 
But that's not the immediate context, and it's not part of why we have chosen this passage uh, for this series. Amen. But real shepherds here are described as those who are approaching the sheep in the proper way. They're not trying to come up another way. They're not trying to sneak around. They're not trying uh, to find a stealth, a stealth uh, way in. Uh, they are coming in the proper way. <laughs> they only have the best of intentions for the sheep. The, the shepherd coming to the sheep, listen to me now, here's, the, here's what I want you to understand about this. The shepherd coming to the sheep and the sheep coming to him is what is best for the sheep. Amen. For the sheep to draw near to the shepherd and for the shepherd to be making his way toward the sheep is what is best for the sheep themselves. It is not the shepherd coming to the sheep through to the sheepfold that is a blessing to the shepherd. It is a blessing to the sheep that the shepherd has come to them and not the other way around. Amen. I think some of you may already be picking up what I'm laying down. Amen. Number three, we see here in verse 3 and 4 that the shepherd is described as one to whom the sheep belongs. Notice verse number 3. The Bible says, to him the porter, or the doorkeeper, the gatekeeper, uh, is what is intended there. Uh, to him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep. Notice that now. His own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. So who is the shepherd? Trying to identify who, uh, what is being said in this parallel. Who is the shepherd? Well, the shepherd is one to whom the sheep belong. The shepherd is one that is not, that he is known by the sheep. The Bible said that they're known of him because he calls them all by their names. I'd say this, you've got to be pretty personal with the sheep. By the way, uh, the only person personal enough with the sheep that knows each of their individual names is the shepherd. Amen. He probably named them and he has their name. He knows them that intimately. The shepherd is the one that not only do the sheep belong to him, and that they are known of him, but the shepherd is one uh, that the sheep hear his voice and they are led by his voice as he goes before them. He is going before them. This is a sign of protection for uh, the sheep. Uh, in this day, a good shepherd, a, a shepherd that's doing his job, is not going to do as a butcher would and, and make the uh, sheep go ahead of him and drive the sheep. A butcher drives the sheep. A shepherd goes before before his sheep, and he leads them by his voice. And it is interesting to study sheep because what you find here is is exactly what is mentioned here in this passage all over the world. As sheep is still in many countries, uh, very uh, still a very important profession. This is still the case today. And to watch those shepherds uh, make their individual call to their individual flock, you can have two shepherds in the same field and those two groups of sheep will not get mixed up at all because they will not follow the voice of a shepherd who belongs to another flock and is not their shepherd. It is very, it is amazing. Here we see Jesus knowing the way that was. He is entering into something they understood from an earthly realm and he's on his way to make a spiritual application. Number four, the shepherd is one who 
has a unique voice according to this passage. Verse number 5, the Bible said there, verse 3, to him the porter openeth and sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own by name, and he leadeth them out. They're following him. The shepherd is one, by the way, that has already by this point in time earned the sheep's trust. Amen. Verse 4, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. In other words, not the voice of another. Verse number 5, and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, speaking about the stranger, for they know not the voice of strangers. Verse 4 and verse 5 tells us that the shepherd is one that has a unique voice, a voice that is so different from all others as to make it unmistakable to the shepherd's sheep. Amen. Can I say this this evening? All of these sentiments that I have just shared with you about the relationship between a sheep, a group of sheep and their shepherd applies to each and every one of us that have been saved by the grace of God, that have placed our faith in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, have realized that we're a sinner, have realized that we have come short of the glory of God realizing that he went to the cross to pay our sin debt and we have trusted in his finished work at Calvary uh, to be the redeeming factor needed for our entry into heaven. We have realized that. We have trusted in that and all of these characteristics apply to our relationship with the Savior. Amen. Think about this. Jesus said, well, let's look at verse number 7 together. Verse 6 said, this parable spake Jesus unto them, and they understood not what things uh, they were which he spake unto them. Verse 7, <coughs> the Bible said, then Jesus said unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Look at verse number 1, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. In other words, what Jesus is letting them know is that if you are going to get into the sheepfold, you've got to go by way of the door. Anyone that tries to get into the sheepfold but does not go by the door, he said, is a thief and a robber. They're not coming in the right way. They don't belong there. They don't belong in the sheepfold. Amen. There's one way uh, to get into uh, the sheepfold, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's not my opinion. That's what Jesus states plainly here in the Word of God. He said, all that ever came, verse 8, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep uh, did not hear them. He said in verse number 9, I am the door. By me if any man enter in. Notice this now. He shall be saved. So he said in verse number one that you've got to go by way of the door which he said in verse number uh, verse uh, number seven is himself in order to get into the sheepfold and he said in verse uh, number nine he said that if you enter in ye shall be saved. What is the sheepfold now? You get in the sheepfold it means you're getting into salvation. You're getting into that group that belongs to the shepherd. Remember what I told you a minute ago about the shepherd, that the shepherd, uh, amen, is one uh, to whom the sheep belong. He said it was his own sheep. That the shepherd is one uh, whose sheep are known by him, known so well that he can call them all by name. Amen. 
that the sheep and their relationship with the shepherd, they have such a relationship where these sheep are the ones that hear his voice and are led by his voice as he goes before them and that that shepherd has a unique voice, a voice that is so different from all the others as to make it unmistakable to that shepherd's sheep. Can I tell you what he is describing is as a group of saved individuals that he here is peril making parallel to the sheep of his sheepfold as he is the shepherd and he says the only way that the, you are to get in to the sheepfold you get in to that body that collective body that belongs to the sheep that group of individuals to whom uh, the shepherd they belong to the shepherd and they hear his voice and they follow his voice and they follow his leadership and he goes before them amen and they understand his voice and his voice alone Amen. That's so unique to them. You only do that by being one of his sheep, by coming in at the sheepfold and entering into the sheepfold. Verse 9, he describes as getting saved. He goes and says, He shall be saved. Then in the end of verse 9, he talks about a privilege of salvation. They shall go in and out and find pasture. When sheep are finding pasture, they're finding provision for life. Psalm 23 that I mentioned, if this is the shepherd chapter of the New Testament, the shepherd chapter of the Old Testament would be Psalm 23. And one of the things that the Bible says there in Psalm 23 is that he provides for us green pastures. He lays us, he puts us beside still waters to refreshment. He prepares that table before us and the presence of our enemies. That table is not a table of wood or what marble or whatever a man a table can be made out of. It is a table land. It is, a, it is an area where uh, sheep are brought to graze. And it said that he, uh, the, psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 23 says that the, the shepherd prepares food and provision and blessing and refreshment for his sheep. That is what Jesus is saying here. That one once you're saved, he says, you can go in and out. That speaks of liberty, having liberty in Christ, having freedom in Christ, and you can enjoy the blessings that comes from the shepherd that only he provides. Verse 10, the Bible says, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Here in this passage, verse 10 speaks of the thief, a chief thief. Verse number 1 talks about those that try uh, to come any other way other than by the door. The Bible says the same as a thief and a robber. See the difference between verse 1 and verse 10? There is the thief, and then there is a thief. There is the one that robs, an uh, activity that a thief engages in, and there is a robber. In other words, this thief that is being spoken of, and I believe you would say amen to this, I believe that if the shepherd is Jesus, then the one that is attacking the sheepfold and the work of the shepherd the most, this has to be a picture of none other than Satan himself. This thief that is constantly coming against the work of the shepherd, if the Jesus is that shepherd, and it's been, it is uh, identified there in verse uh, number 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the good 
good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. Then that means in verse 10, this thief has to be the devil. And it means that when those of us try uh, to get into the sheepfold to possess salvation by any other means other than by going through the door, the Lord Jesus Christ as the door, the passage, the one and only way to get into salvation, then friend, you are doing exactly what the devil wants you to do. Amen. The one, one thing that the devil is interested in when it comes to your never dying soul, he's not interested in what religion you choose. He's not, he doesn't mind if you are religious. He doesn't mind that at all. Here's what he wants us to keep doing, Brother Dane. He wants people to keep choosing any path to try to get into the sheepfold, but the one that will actually get them there. He doesn't care whether you go through the way of a cult, whether you go through the way of some uh, Hindu religion, some Eastern religion. He doesn't care whether you go by uh, some religion that is, that is Christian-esque but has no true gospel. He doesn't care whether it is pagan or whether it is churchy as long as it does not get you into the sheepfold God's way. Points you to works. Points you to trying to live a certain kind of a life, live a certain kind of holy life, which the Bible, the Bible has already said that none of us could ever attain to. That's right. That's right. If you don't believe me, read, John, read Romans chapter number 3 sometime. None of us have the ability to live good enough to go to heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8 tells us that we can't go by words. It's not of words that Paul said there in Ephesians 2 under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. If I can do something to get myself in, whether it's by my church attendance, whether it's by my charitable record, whether it's by my giving to, uh, giving to charities or doing good deeds, whether it's me by, my, by me trying to be a good person, whatever the way is, amen, whether it's me trying to get in by pastoring this church, by reading the Bible every day, by praying every day, by doing whatever I may put my mind to do, if I'm trying to do it as a way to get in, friend, all I'm doing is doing exactly what the thief wants me to do. Whatever other, whatever way, but going in through the door, and the Bible says that it's not of works, whatever that work is, lest any man should boast. If I get myself to heaven through my good works, the Bible says that I could pat myself on the back that I got me here, and Jesus did not get me there. I've earned my way. I was good enough to get here. That's what Ephesians 2 tells me. Jesus here says, I am the door, verse 9, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Yeah, listen to me tonight. If, you go, if you've ever come to Christ, if you've ever come to salvation, not through anything else, but just by trusting Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, the Bible here promises, he shall be saved. That's the way you get saved. And shall go in out and find pasture. You'll enjoy the blessings of salvation. The thief cometh not, verse 10, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to take something from you. He wants to kill you, render you absolutely inactive and unable. And he wants to destroy and dismantle every part of your life that there is. He said, I am come that they might have. Notice this. Have life. Amen. Yeah. Have it as a possession. 
that in other words that life may be yours and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus in verse 11 said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is in hireling and not the shepherd whose own sheep, the, uh, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catches them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is in hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine as the Father knoweth me even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here in these verses, between verse number 6 and verse number 18, we find that Jesus has made this allegory explicitly clear, and He has made its meaning expressly stated that Jesus is the door, that He is also the shepherd. He, is using, he uses in verse number 11 an adjective distinguishing Himself slightly from the generalized description of the shepherd. Verse number 2, if you look in verse number 2, he says that he that cometh in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He adds an adjective in verse number 11. He's not just the shepherd of the sheep, but in verse number 11 he says, I am the good shepherd. He adds this adjective good that he is not just the shepherd, but that he is the good shepherd. In verse number 11, he tells us what makes him the good shepherd. What makes this shepherd the good shepherd, according to verse number 11, is that he giveth his life for the sheep. A normal shepherd in a normal shepherding situation, a shepherd enters in to the role of being a shepherd by being willing, if called upon, to give his life for the sheep. Now, I'll be honest with you. As I think about that role in a physical sense, as a, as a physical occupation, that still baffles me. I don't know about you, but there's not a sheep or a group of sheep in this world that I'm going to be willing to die for. Huh. And here, here's part of the reason for me. If I'm their shepherd... And all of them are looking to me, and I die to protect them. Wouldn't it be better that one of the sheep died and the shepherd still stays around instead of the shepherd dying? And now there's a bunch of sheep lost out in the wilderness somewhere. <laughs> to, to me, Brother Stacy, I'm not a smart man, but I'm telling you, that just makes sense to me. But that's not the level of devotion. That's why I'm not a shepherd in a physical sense. You mean a lot more to me as spiritual sheep, if you will, than, than that little animal sheep. And I'm not someone that advocates for animals being hurt either. I'm just telling you, I think my life, and I hope my wife would say amen, and I hope my children would say amen, I hope my church members would say amen, my life is more important than that little sheep's life is, amen. But a, she, but a shepherd, a genuine shepherd, is one who lives a life of, of devotion. He's all or nothing with his sheep. He will give his life for his sheep if the opportunity was necessary. Now, he will protect them and try to save their life and his. But if the only way to secure the safety of the sheep is to give his own life, that's what the shepherd will do. That's what a physical, real-world shepherd will commit to do, to give his life if necessary. 
Now this is what separates Jesus from the shepherds of our day and the good shepherd that he is in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but look at verse number 11 with me. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for, his sheep, for the sheep. You know, a lot of times we will try to take that in the sense of the physical shepherd that if it had to be done, then the shepherd is willing to give his life for the sheep. But that's not what Jesus said here. The, one of the reasons, and I, and I know I've mentioned this here before, one of the reasons why we are so strong on the King James Bible here, though there is the same reason why most of the world hates the Bible that we have. And that is because of the phrases like this where the Bible says, giveth. For some reason, the average American and the average person around the world that likes to cause, likes to cause issue with the King James Bible, they hate the eths. They somehow they can't figure out giveth what that means. They hate the thous and the these and the yees. But if you're a student of your Bible, you'll understand all of those things have a very spiritual purpose. If, the, if your Bible does not have the ifs and does not have the these and does not have the yees and all of the things that the people say that is so archaic and, and there's no point in it, friend, I mean, if your Bible doesn't have it, you are missing out on the way that the Word of God was meant to be interpreted. Nobody has ever spoken in Elizabethan English in the history of the known world. It was used for literary purposes, and without those, we could not have accurately translated the Hebrew and Greek the way that we did. Here's the point that I'm making. The Bible says the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. It means that not only this giveth, the ETH does not put it in a possible tense. It does not put it in a past tense, but it puts it in a present tense. That in this very moment, when Jesus Christ has declared himself the good shepherd, because the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, it is used in the present tense. It means while Jesus is speaking these words in the heart of God, the sacrifice has already been made. Here's what the book of Revelation says, that Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In the heart of God, he was, already the, he was already the sacrifice for sin. It was already done before the world ever had its foundation in the eyes of God. Here's what it also means. It means that Jesus in this moment was actively walking down the path without delay toward his destination of dying. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate, and I've said it several times, we celebrate a Savior that was born to die. Born for the purpose of dying. When he said that, he, that the good shepherd, speaking about himself, giveth his life for the sheep, what he meant by that is, is that he said, I am headed for the, I'm headed for death. I'm headed to give my life for you. And I am doing nothing to stop that from happening. 
I'm in the process. ETH means ever continual. It is an eternal nature. Not only does it mean that in eternity past, in the heart of God, He was already the Lamb slain, but He has done nothing since that moment to change it. He is doing everything that He can to make sure it happens. Jesus at the wedding at Cana looked at his mom and told her to not hinder him because his time had not yet come yet. He didn't want anything preventing him from getting to Calvary. A lot of hiccups. You study the New Testament, you'll find out there were some possibilities for potential hiccups along the way. And Jesus would put everyone in their tracks and say, it's not time yet. You know what that tells me, Brother Cody? That for all of the 33 and a half years of Jesus' life, all that He did, everything that He said, everywhere that He went was kept in mind of that destination. Over and over during His earthly ministry, even several years out from the time that He was to be crucified, He said, it's not time yet. He didn't want to step out, didn't want to have any any issues standing in the way of exactly the way God wanted it to be. I think that's amazing. Amen. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. This good shepherd is described as currently giving his life for the sheep. He is unwaver <coughs> unwaveringly marching toward, toward the destined moment of his death. We see the parallel. Verse 22 through 27, we see the possession. Verse 26 and 27, he calls the sheep his sheep. Verse number 28, we see the pledge. Notice what he says in verse number 28. He says this, and I give unto them eternal life. That's pledge number one that he makes. I give unto them eternal life. Who is he giving them to? Verse number 26 and 27, my sheep, my sheep, he says over and over. He said, uh, verse 27, my sheep, hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. So who is the them? It is his sheep. Who are his sheep? We've already said it is those that have received salvation. Those who are in the sheepfold, those who have come by way of the door, those who have been born again. He said, I give unto them eternal life. Here in just a few weeks, when Christmas comes around, and you want to talk about the greatest gift that you've ever been given in your life, if you're here tonight, and you've trusted in Christ, and you've been saved by the grace of God, the best gift that you've ever been given is when God gave His Son, and by giving His Son, you were able from His Son to receive the gift of eternal life. God the Father gave you Jesus. Jesus gave you eternal life. And friend, those are the greatest gifts that you could ever receive. It's better than any Xbox. It's better than any car. Amen. It's better than any cooking set. Amen. It's better than a new suit or a new tie. Amen. Thank God for salvation, and thank God for the Savior that provides. Amen. Amen. I give unto them eternal life. That was pledge number one. Pledge number two is, and they shall never perish. Do you see how plain that is? Isn't it interesting that as we read just a few verses ago in verse number 24, they heard these words. And those that got mad at Jesus after he spoke these words said, I wish you could talk to us more plainly. 
I don't know how much more plain you can get. <laughs> Jesus told them that he had been plain. You go back to John chapter number 5. Jesus was as plain as he had ever spoken to the religious leaders of his day. He told them exactly who he was. He told them exactly why he'd come. And he told them exactly what he wanted to do in the hearts and lives of men, women, boys, and girls. He made it so plain they did not receive it. And isn't it interesting how cloudy our, our spiritual senses can be when we reject truth from God? The Bible here says that I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. I've preached this in other places, but it literally means that they will never in their existence be perishing. They will never, from the moment that He saves them and gives them eternal life, that word perish literally means to be lost, to be headed to hell. It means to, uh, it means to have a life and a destination that is ruined. In other words, Jesus is saying from the moment they come into the sheepfold by the door and enter into a relationship with the shepherd, by the time they come by the right way, I, when they do, will give them eternal life and they will never from that moment on ever be lost again. That's what he says. Never perish. Never be perishing. Never perish. No point in their life will perish ever be attached to them. Notice what he says next. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We see the pledge here. Amen. But now, I mean, like I said, I'm skipping a lot of things. But let me say this. Amen. Let's notice uh, real quickly. Uh, here we find the plucking here in these verses. The position, verse 28, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The plucking, neither shall any man uh, pluck them out of my hand. The Christian is so secure in their salvation that they have been placed in the Father's hand, a place of protection. Think about the source of this hand. The Bible said this hand is the Father's hand. That means it's God's hand. Amen. Uh, here, uh, God's hand, it's, it's, excuse me, it's the Savior's hand. Jesus said, out of my hand. It is the Son of God's hand. It is the Savior's hand. It is the shepherd's hand. There's no other place for a sheep to be safer than in the hand of their shepherd. And think about this, and not quite in this moment, but here very soon, this hand that he's talking about will be a scarred hand. Amen. Isn't it interesting that Christ says here, that those that are saved are in his hand and after Calvary it was in his hands that he would forever bear the marks of that which caused our salvation. You're in his hands. You're secured in his hands. I'll say this, when it comes to my family, there's no other place where Wyatt is safer. There's no other place where Joey is safer. There's no other place where Maisie is safer. There's no other place where my wife is safer than when they are in my arms. Can I say this tonight? If somebody was to come and try to attack my family and I had them in my arms protecting them, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not the biggest man, I'm not the toughest man, I'm not the burliest man that there is, but I promise if you were to try to pull my arms away at any other time, it would be much easier than it would be if I'm protecting my family. 
there's I believe that there's there's going there would be so there's I, I just I just cannot think of any other way to describe but in that moment when I'm protecting them it would take much more than just the average moment to tear me off of them there's, if they, and think of if, if that's the way it is for us and our family, imagine the source of these hands is not husband's hands and daddy's hands, but this is the hands of the Son of God, the hands themselves. He said, you're in those hands. The source of the hands that protects us, the, the strength of the hands that protects us, these are the hands of God. He said that they're my hands. In other words, he says that the sheep are not going to be torn out of my hands because the hands of God are the strongest hands there are. Think about this. The size of the hands that protect us. Go in. I, I know I've been preaching a while, but give me just, just a couple more minutes. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. If you give me five minutes or less... We won't be back in this text next Wednesday night. Unless you want to be, because I'm feeling good about it. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you, these truths excite me. They stir me. Thank God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 12. The Bible says this, as you're turning, you can catch up. Who hath, is speaking about the Lord here, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. The hollow of his hand is not even talking about the palm of his hand. It's just talking about that part. If you were to scoop up water, the very center part to where water would puddle up. The Bible said all of the waters of the world can fit in just that small part of the hand of God. You want to talk about being protected. If that's where all of the waters of this earth come on God's hand, little old me and little old you, I think we're pretty safe, don't you? The Bible says that he meted out, the, out heaven with a span. That's a span. He, all of the heavens, that part of his hand. It all fits right there. The Bible says, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who do you know other than God that would be big enough to have the mountains weighed in a scale? Who could ever own a scale that big? Someone I'd imagine that can hold all the oceans in the hollow of his hand. Someone that can measure out the heavens with a span. Look at Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48. Verse number 13. Here's God speaking about his own hand. He said, Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. You know, one verse we hear that the heavens are spanned. Here we figure out which hand he's using. He says it's his right hand. When I call unto them, they stand up together. This is a man. This is a God 
whose, the Bible said, whose hand, notice that's a singular hand. It is by one hand, not even both hands, just one hand. He laid the foundation of the earth. When I think about the source of this hand that protects me, when I think about the strength of this hand that protects me, when I think about the size of this hand that protects me, no wonder the Bible said that Jesus said, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, a hand that is so divine and so strong and so large if it's got me in it and it's closed around me and it's closed around you. I dare someone to try to pull me out of such a hand. Notice what he goes on to say. We do see the plucking here. He talks about neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The phrase in verse number 28, no man. And the, uh, uh, the phrase, uh, excuse me, verse 28, any man. And the phrase no man in verse number 29, uh, 29 literally means nothing. No thing. It implies more than just mankind. It means that no man, it means that no other person, it means that no other power can remove us from the position that we have in Christ that provides our salvation. John Butler said, God is holding on to us so tightly that with His great power that nothing can take us out of His hand. The security of our salvation is based upon God's keeping power and not on our staying power. That's what John Butler had to say. In other words, here's what he's saying. It's not with, his, with God's hand, it's not that I'm holding my place in His hand. You see, those that teach that you have to do something other than trust Christ to be saved, they are trusting in their own staying power in the hand of God. That it's up to me to make sure I don't roll out of the hand, to make sure I don't fall out of the hand, to make sure I don't, something I've heard this said before, pluck myself out of the hand. I've never plucked myself out of anything, Brother Dean, but that's what they say. I've never picked my own self up by the collar and pulled me out of a room somewhere. But that's what they say, if I, maybe I can pluck myself out. It's not based on our staying ability. It's all based on God's keeping ability. Amen. Lastly, look in your Bible at the proof. The proof. Verse 29 and 30 says this. My Father, which gave them me. We've talked about how God gave the Son. But do you realize that not only did God give the Son for you, but God gave you to the Son. That's what happens at salvation. God gave His Son so that you could enter in by the door. He's the door. But then in your salvation, God the Father gave you over to the Son, and that's why you're in His hand. He's been, you've been placed into the hand. Think about this. I don't. Let me let me borrow somebody. Somebody, Wyatt, come here. I'm, uh, this is the only thing I got in my pocket outside of a handkerchief is one of these mints. And after I get done preaching, you want me to have them in my pocket. <clears throat> if I'm giving this to him, pretend like this is, this is a terrible illustration, it's all I got in my pocket. Pretend like this is us when we get saved. I'm his father, so you can picture me as God the Father, although I'm not that. You can, 
This is Jesus. He's Jesus. He's far from that. I'm his daddy, I know. When we get saved, God the Father takes us and he puts us in the hand of his son. And he said, they're yours. You keep them safe until they come back to me. That's what salvation is. God gives us to the Father, and then you can have a seat and you can keep the mint with you. <laughs> I don't need it back. I got another one. My Father, which gave them me, notice this now, is greater than all. How is it that, that Jesus can say, when you're in my hand, nobody can pull you out of my hand? Because he said, my Father is greater than all. The one that gave you, the one that gave the, the saint of God into the Savior's hand is greater than anyone or anything else. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And then in verse 30, I and my Father are one. The unity between the Savior and the Father gives us a twofold strength in the position of our salvation. You, if you wanted to jump out of the Father's, of, of Christ's hand, you couldn't. Here's why. To get, once you, if you were able to get out of Jesus' hands, you'd still have to deal with the Father's hand and get out of His hand too. I and my Father are one. Brother Charlie, you didn't realize that you aren't just secure in Jesus, but you are so secure you're in Jesus and in the Father all at the same time. You are not just eternally secure, you're doubly eternally secure. And that's not Baptist doctrine. I've been reading it to you from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad tonight for John chapter number 10, aren't you? I'm thankful here. Look at verse 31, and this is my, this is my conclusion. Notice this. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Can I say this? This is my, this is my conclusion. I about said my introduction. This is my conclusion. The Jews were not happy about what they heard. But can I say this tonight? I sure am glad for what I've heard. Amen. They may not have been excited about it, but I'm excited about it. It may not have meant much to them, but it means a whole lot to me. And if you're saved by the grace of God, it should mean something to you that we are eternally secure in Christ. We're in Christ's hand. We're in the Father's hand. And no one can pluck us out of the Father's hand. No one can get us out of Jesus' hand. But if they could, they definitely couldn't get us out of the Father's hand. And that is proof positive that each one of us that are saved are eternally saved and there will never be a time no matter what we do no matter what we where we've been no matter how cold we get on God we'll never be lost because Jesus said when you're saved ye shall never perish now I will say this I don't believe that someone that is saved by the grace of God will have murder in their heart I don't believe someone that's saved by the grace of God will commit adultery and it not bother them. I don't believe any of that. I believe the Lord will deal with our hearts and we must, get, we must get right with God in order to maintain a proper fellowship with Him. But every sin I've ever committed, past, present, and future, was dealt with on Calvary. And it, His righteousness was credited to me, not just for the moment, 
but for all time when I got saved. That's why I can't lose my salvation. Every sin was future when Jesus died for it on Calvary. And when I got saved and I got His righteousness, I got an eternal righteousness, and it covers for my sins forever. Not that I'll be sinless, but that God looks at me like He's looking at His Son. And I'm thankful for that tonight. Amen. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.